Amen. Well, you may go ahead and be seated, church. Welcome to City Life. We're so glad that you're here with us, each one of you, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. It is such an honor to have you tuning into City Life, the contribution of your life, what you bring. And I hope you come with expectant hearts tonight. Do you have an expectant heart? Is everyone doing okay? Good, good. Well, I want to start by just wishing my friend Amanda Hiltz happy birthday. She is 40 years old. I'm allowed to say that because her husband posted her number, so it's out there. But um, 40th birthday, but if you know Amanda, you know that she is serving all the time and, and loving people and helping to just serve at this church in so many ways, and their family is such a key part, so I hope that you will love on her, wish her happy birthday, tell her how good she makes 40 look. You know you're getting old when someone turns 40 and you're like, why do they look 25? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. So, all right, I also just wanna start tonight, I wanna thank our church family. You guys are awesome. You know, Fred and I are coming off of being quite sick with COVID and we're back and we're getting healthy and we're so grateful. But I just wanna thank our church. We felt so loved. Their outpouring of love, our phones were blowing up and food was showing up on our doors and meals were delivered and DoorDash gift cards were texted and we felt such, um, so like cared for. And so just thank you guys for being awesome. It also forced us obviously to quarantine and not be able to connect in person in community. And so I also wanna give a special thank you and a shout out to our online church team. There's like this whole group of people making online church happen right now for hundreds of people that are tuning in. And so you guys are amazing. And I was just reminded each of those weeks how amazing they are, just all the different roles that they fill and they're just behind the scenes making it happen so that God's truth can be proclaimed and people can be connected and tied in to what God's doing. So you guys are killing it. We love our online church team. So thank you for all the hard work with Pastor Justin and all those folks. All right. Well, it's always an honor to be able to share. It's always an honor to be able to in God's word together. So how many know 2020 was a year? It was a thing, yeah? You with me? It was a thing. And as 2020 started to unfold, I don't know about you, but I found myself through some failure, through some bad attitudes, through some disappointments, I found myself a little frustrated with myself. Because how many know it takes some courage to, to, to know, it takes, but when we're squeezed and things come out of us, we have to go, oh, that was in me, right? Oh, I wish that didn't come out of me. That means where, oh, it's in me. And so as 2020 happened and the world was upending, I really experienced what I'm calling a renewed desperation revelation. You've heard us talk about desperation revelation, that phrase, Fred likes to use that phrase um, to describe that moment in time, right? That each one of us has had, if we've, if we've made a vow of devotion to Christ, that moment when we realize how desperate we are for a savior. And although that moment for me happened years and years ago, I would say what's been happening in my heart over 2020 through disappointment in myself, through ugly things that have come out, through the world coming as we know it to a screeching halt, and it uncovers things in our own hearts, a renewed desperation. And my eyes have been opened in a new way to how, to, to how inept I am how unable I am, how broken I am. Not to shame me, might I add. God is so loving and he's so kind and he's so good. 
but to bring me to my knees in a new way, to throw me in a more desperate way before Jesus and be like, God, I can't, I can't do this without you. I'm going to really mess things up here if left to myself. I can't operate in the roles that you've called me to. I can't do the things. I cannot be the person that God's called me to be without having my eyes opened to how unable I am. And as I was wrestling with that reality, God brought me to the scripture, John 3.30. It's a very simple scripture. It's John the Baptist speaking about Jesus. And it says, he must become greater I must become less. And that has really become the anthem of these last six months of my life as I've been wrestling with that and unpacking what does that actually look like in my life? What does that feel like? And that's where I want us to land tonight, that he must become greater and I must become less. Now, story. If you know our family, you know that we are avid boaters. We love the water. It's one of the ways that we have fun together as a family. It's one of the ways that we invest in rest together on our days off. I grew up on the St. Lawrence River in northern New York, right along the Canadian border. I boated my whole life. I've been around boats since I was a little girl. And then Fred, early on in our marriage, we went on a vacation with my family to Lake Gaston. He got bit by the boat bug. And so we came home and we purchased a boat. And our kids were really, really little. And so they've grown up um, boating with us. You know, if you're a parent, one of the fun things about parenting is introducing your kids to the things you're passionate about, right? The things you enjoy in hopes that they might like it. And, and so over these, as you know, raising our kids now, obviously they're much older, but as they came into their teen years, one of the things that we loved to do, but particularly Fred, was teaching them all of the nuances of boating. You know, not just enjoying the boat, but how to drive the boat, how to pull and tow skiers and wake surfers and wakeboarders and kneeboarders and, you know, how to, once they could drive, you know, they could actually tow the boat and launch the boat. And there's a lot of work in boating if you've been around boats. And so just sharing that as a family. So interestingly, this past summer, I, um, we were on the boat with some friends, and my boys are getting older, so they're not always with us, which is another sermon for another day that no one ever preaches. Just talk to me about it. Your kids actually leave home, and you launch them into God's plan destiny. Yeah, we'll talk about that another time. But we found ourselves out with friends, having a good time. Chickahominy River in Williamsburg is where we launched that day. The wind was perfect. The water was like glass. It was beautiful. The bald eagles overhead. Everything was lovely. And so... Claire was with us and our friends, and Fred's like, I've got to kneeboard. He doesn't always, he's the captain, right? He's the captain to the boat, it's his gig, right? We're along for the ride. And so, um, but, but, and so I found, I, he was like, I've got to get on the kneeboard today, it's perfect water. I'm like, yeah, you absolutely have to. And so I jumped up to drive the boat. And as I did that, I was surprised at how like uncomfortable I felt because it'd been a while. I just hadn't realized how long it's been since I've driven the boat because for the last several years, we've always, when it's, there's an opportunity, the boys are driving and Claire is learning and the kids are learning. And so again, around boats my whole life, no boating, super comfortable, but was surprised um, you know, at how uncomfortable I was like, oh, but I didn't say anything because I'm about to throw him in the water. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm like, so I did, I did say, hey, it's been a while, you know? And he's like, yeah, I got, I got this, Vanessa. I'll tell you what to do. You know, I was like, it's been a while. 
as I'm saying that, I'm literally looking at the levers like, which one is the gas again? <laughs> which one is forward, neutral, reverse? I'm looking at the dashboard gauges, the speed, the RPMs. I'm kind of re-acquainting you know, acquainting myself. Um, and he's like reminding me how many RPMs he likes to go at once he's locked in on the kneeboard and gives me a couple instructions. He's like, I've got you, just, just watch me. So puts on the vest, jumps in the water, and uh, Claire throws him the rope, and he starts basically driving the boat while I'm, you know, while I'm in the captain's chair. It was awesome. He's like, forward, you know, neutral, reverse. Now we have a jet boat, so we don't have a prop. So I can't like churn anybody's limbs off or anything. But because you have a wake boat, it pulls in water and that's how it moves forward. And so you're never quite, even though you're neutral, you're never quite holding still. So there's a lot of nuances with the jet boat, which he makes look easy. But again, I'm out of practice. So he's, you know, giving me all these instructions, forward. Slow it down, reverse, reverse, okay. Rope's taut, he gets in, he gives me the signal because the motor's about to get loud, so we're gonna move to signals, not voice commands, right? We've got extensive as safe boaters, we've got extensive uh, signal instructions. So he's like, hit it! So I hit it, I bring it up to the speed I know, and at this point, I can't hear him, so I'm locked in on the mirror with, my, with him in the water. So he's having a good time. He's getting himself locked in the road, you know, on the kneeboard. He gives me the, you know, I see he's locked in. He's like, I got it. So I know I bring up the speed. He had given me a few instructions before he got in the water. I'm taking in other boat traffic, other uh, skiers, tubers, whoever in the water. And he's giving me signals. So he starts to do 360s, starts to have fun. But he's also like, do this, and he's showing me, you know, do you see the bass boat coming up on your right? And I'm like, yeah, and I'm driving the boat, and he wants me to circle around, so he wants me to bring the speed, you know, so I'm following his signals, I'm doing all the things he says. So bottom line is he has a great run. Finally, he's like, you know, cut, I cut, I bring the motors down, circle around to pick him up. This is where it gets sketchy. He wants me to get really close to him so he doesn't have to swim very far to the boat. So he's like, left, left, left. I feel like I'm gonna go on top of him. Forward, neutral. Reverse, great, cut, turn the motors off. He gets up on the swim deck. He's like, great job, babe, you did awesome. And I'm like, I, I didn't really do anything. Like you just gave everybody a show, had a good time on the kneeboard and drove the boat all at the same time. It was awesome. And later that day, it was actually the next morning, I was laughing about the dynamic there. And God whispered to me, hey, Vanessa, Hey, hey, that, what you experienced, that's me being greater and you being less. That's what life is going to look like. That awareness of needing those instructions, that's how I want you to walk out every day. You were listening for his every command, watching for his every instruction because you knew he knew the nuance of the ride. He knew better than you the controls. He knew the tides that day. He understood the wind. He knew the traffic. He had a better perspective. He had more experience. The way that you didn't pause, you didn't question, you just did what he said because you knew he was the one who was the better, more experienced driver. Hey, hey I want you to get up every day and have that kind of discomfort with what I've called you to do so that you're then locked in to my commands and to my instructions. Do, this is what God asked me, do you live 
with a desperation revelation. You were desperate for Fred's instructions to give him the best ride, to have the safest run that day. You were straining. Vanessa, do you strain to hear my will? Do you strain to hear my commands and my instructions so that you can successfully drive your life under his authority, under my authority, God's authority? See, so many things that I am involved in that you're involved in, I'm guessing, I'm familiar with. I was familiar with boats that day. I wasn't worried. I know boating. When I get up, my son, my oldest son's about to be 21. I've been around momming for a while. We're going to be married for almost 24 years. I've been wifing for a while, if that's a thing. I've been around church my whole life. I've been leading city life for 13 years. I've been on our pastoral team for, right? We've got some things in our belt that we are comfortable with. And God said, but you've never done this run before. You've never come out of 2020 before. John 3.30, he must become greater, I must become less, I believe is one of the most precise and succinct ways of God saying to you and to me, my thoughts must become your thoughts. Don't make it more complicated than it is. My voice must be the loudest voice in your ear. Forward, neutral, reverse, hit it, cut it. My values must drive your decisions. My ideas, God was saying to my heart, Vanessa, have to inform every behavior. And my heart needs to fuel your perspective. And my purposes need to fill your days. That's what I'm talking about. That's what allowing God to become greater and me to become less is all about. God made it real simple for me. I don't know about you, but sometimes I need God to kind of dumb things down a little bit. I'm pretty sure he talks to Fred in Greek and Hebrew and Latin and, you know, org charts and constitution and bylaws. He doesn't talk to me that way. Hey, Vanessa. Hey, Vanessa. Let me become greater And this is what's beautiful, too, that God's been showing me. As I allow God to become greater, he gently, lovingly, and beautifully displaces my less. He displaces my brokenness, my inability, my lack. Now, I cannot be the only person in the room who does not naturally become less. Cheers, anybody? Mm Mm-hmm. Therein lies the tension. It's all fun and games on the boat, but let's talk about real life. This idea of allowing God to become greater and me by virtue of that allowance then becoming less, there's some real tension there. And it causes us, each one of us, to need to be incredibly intentional and to bring focus to this idea and this practice this journey that each one of us are on. What we're really talking about is the heart of the gospel message, the ministry of reconciliation. If you want to go with me to 2 Corinthians 5, the word reconcile means to restore to friendly relations. I love that definition. Just to get back on friendly terms. It's a Bible word. It's not a word we use all the time. It means to bring things back to the way they should be. Let's read together in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
the old has gone, and the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, there's three types of reconciliation, all right? The first one, when we're talking about the heart of Jesus, the ministry of reconciliation, the gospel. There's the reconciliation of people to God. This happens at, the, at salvation, correct? Right? We realize, we talked about it when I said this is what a desperation revelation is. It's that moment where you realize my brokenness, my ugliness, my sin does not allow me to ever be restored to friendly relations with the perfect God. But then we realize that the sacrifice of Jesus comes between us and God, right? And all of the judgment that is due me because of my wickedness and my humanity and my evilness rests at the foot of the cross and only God's grace, love, and mercy comes through. And if you're here tonight and you haven't experienced that, that is the gift of being reconciled to God. The second reconciliation that happens is that of people to people. This is serious business. This is what we've been talking a lot about in this season as a church. It's this idea of people understanding that our job is to celebrate and champion unity, right? It's to walk arm in arm with people that are different from us, but created in his image. It's this idea of learning to live in harmony. The third reconciliation, and where I want us to land tonight, is the truth of people, me and you, being reconciled to the idea of holiness and pure living. Righteousness. You hear these church words? Righteousness, holiness, purity. It's just us being restored to friendly relations with the way life was meant to be as it applies to how I live my everyday life. Holiness. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians 4. I love this scripture. I get so excited when I read it. Because I see myself and I see the work of Jesus laid out so clearly in this. Ephesians 4, 17. It's a lot of words, but I'm going to read you several verses. Track with me. Paul is writing here to the church of Ephesus, and he writes, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. He's, he wants them to hear this. He wants them to get this. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. What that means for us is these are people that had not heard the gospel yet. So this is us without Christ. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. How about that description? How about that description of us without Jesus, right? Futile thinking, darkened in my understanding, separated from the life of God, ignorant, hard heart. I mean, these are, this, is, this is it. This is a description of us without Jesus. Verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, here we go, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on this new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Each one of us 
each one of us must be reconciled to life the way that it was created to work. And that, again, is a process. It's a journey. It's never done. And I want to ask you tonight the courageous question, how are you doing in your own personal quest of being reconciled to a life of holiness? to a life of pure living, to life the way that God intended it to be. See, if we can get closer to that, as we begin to move towards that, we begin to experience the the joy of living life the way that it was intended to be. And can I just tell you, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt, and if you're not, I want you to become convinced that it is the most fulfilling way to live. It's the most stress-free way to live. Forget all the other things about self-care. Align your life with Jesus. It's the most stress-free way to live. It's the most desirable. It's the most meaningful. I believe it's the most adventurous. It's the most fun. It's the best way to live life. And so tonight, I just want to share from my own life some really practical things that God has been teaching me and reinforcing to me and just putting on my heart about what it really looks like to walk this out, for God to become greater and for me to continue by, by, by allowing his greatness to grow and expand in my life for me to become less. There's so many things I could share at this point, but there's two areas that God has been ministering to my heart in. The first is to prioritize his values, and the second is how to amplify his voice. We must prioritize his values and amplify his voice. And the things that I want to share with you are just little nuggets of truth, things that I believe you're going to be able to bring into Monday and put to work in your life, things that you're going to be able to think about on Wednesday at 2 o'clock and put to work in your workplace, right? Put to work in your marriage, put to work in your everyday life. The nitty, I call it the nitty gritty of life. I don't know about you, that's where I live, right? That's where my faith is really alive. That's where it really matters. So if I'm going to ask the question or talk about prioritizing God's values, again, as a means of allowing his greatness to grow in my life, I need to ask this, the very simple question, does my life align with God's values? Does my life align with God's values? And I would say there's four components If you want to take a snapshot of your life, or if I were to sit down with you, and and you said, Vanessa, I want to answer this question. Will you look at my life and, and have, you know, eyes on my life? There's four things that I would say give you a snapshot of someone's life. It's not a complete picture, but a pretty good snapshot. That is how they spend their time. Look at their calendar. So you look at your calendar, you begin to understand someone's values, right? You look at your calendar, you begin to understand the things that you spend time on, that's where you're, it, it, it's an, a representation or reflects your values. Does your calendar align with God's values? The second area would be relationships. Who are your people, right? Who are you spending time with? Who are you investing in? Who's investing in you? Who do you hang out with? Who makes you laugh, right? Who are your people? Your relationships give a snapshot of the values of your life. Another area is money. We just had an amazing uh, sermon series in December, me and mine, 
about our financial life. So many people get frustrated in their, in their, maybe in their spiritual transformation and, and they, and they want to grow in God and, and, and they leave this one to the very, very end or maybe they never tackle it. I will tell you, you must align, you must overlay God's values on your financial life. It's a game changer. Now, none of these three we're going to talk about tonight, okay? So, but the fourth one is where I've been my own self just really wrestling with and looking at and, and putting some new things into play. And that is habits and routines. Habits and routines. There's some new research at Duke University and they concluded that 45% of everyday behaviors are made up of habits and routines at a minimum. So that means that almost half of your life, half of your activity, half of your time is spent doing things that you don't necessarily decision on in the moment. Does that make sense? They're habitual in nature. They're routines, they're habits, they're things you do without thinking. So there's this truth about um, looking at our habits and routines and making sure that they align with God's values. It's not as intuitive, but I think it's important. It's where God's taken me over these last few months. And a couple things that I've just crossed in research or read or picked up along the way that I've been, I've been putting to work in my own life. The first one is that of macro goals and micro quotas. Macro goals and micro quotas as it relates to habits and routines. Macro goals are what you think they are, right? They're those big dreams we have, right? Those big goals, those things we want to reach for, those things we want to accomplish. They must be balanced by micro quotas. A micro quota is the minimum amount of work that I have to do daily or weekly to make that bigger goal a reality. That makes sense, right? How many of us know people that only have macro goals, but they have no micro quotas, right? They're not doing any of the practicals. They're not taking any of the steps to move themselves daily and weekly towards actually reaching that goal. So it's very important when I'm thinking about aligning my life with God's values and looking at my habits and routines, this is such a, a valuable practice. It's such a, a, a great thing to spend some time thinking about. Now, as a well-taught church, we understand the spiritual pathways. I think they're listed up here. Here are the 12 pathways. Other churches, you may have referred to them as um, spiritual disciplines, right? Or, or, or uh, spiritual habits, really. These are the 12 pathways that we know. We like to call them pathways because they take us somewhere, right? They move us in a direction, and these are the things that are supposed to be active in our life. And as we measure ourselves against God's word and these things are active in our life, we, can, we will experience beyond a shadow of a doubt transformation. So when I'm thinking about habits and routines and I'm thinking about macro goals and micro quotas out of my own life, and I'm going to share it with you so you can do it with your life, I look at which ones of these do I need to move forward in. I would encourage you, if you can ever do a life group here at City Life, or it's a practice you can do on your own, is to take these 12 pathways and assess your life against them. It's very simple. We like to use a the stoplight, right? Green, yellow, red. If it's red, it means it's not active in my life. If it's yellow, it means it's there once in a while. If it's green, it's active in thriving and flourishing, and I want to keep it that way. So, sharing out of my own life, I look at these, I say reaching. Reaching 
is just, I don't know, do I use an excuse? I'm always with Christians. I don't know, I'm not a good reacher, y'all. I mean, I'm reaching you guys, right? But I'm not great in like just my everyday activities with people when I'm not at church, they don't know I'm a pastor, right? I'm not great at inserting Jesus. I wanna be Cortez Higgs. Like I want to be, you know, I wanna be that person that just like, like people just meet you and they're like, who is Jesus? And you're like, so I'm more like, you know, I don't know, yeah. So, So reaching is one. So my macro goal right now, it's yellow. It's yellow, so it's not good. Right. My macro goal is to establish friendships with my immediate neighbors to be able to share Christ with them. Right? Really simple. Sounds really spiritual. It sounds great. The my, yeah, it, it sounds great. Amen, Vanessa. Amen. I, I suck at this. So God just gave me two new neighbors, by the way. He's like, he gave me a new start, right? You have, I have three neighbors. One on each side, one across the street. Two are new over this winter. I really feel like God's like, I'm giving you a fresh start, girlfriend. The last ones, I had to move them away. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here we are. Guess what the micro quota is, though? This gets real spiritual in how I live my life. It means that when I'm focused and I'm dressed and I'm ready and I'm on the door and I have a schedule, which I always have, if you're type A, in order to a person like me, the micro quota means that when I see my neighbor, I actually once a week am going to make it a discipline to engage them, to stop what I'm doing to throw my bags in the car and walk around to the backyard where my neighbor, I just realized, walks her dog because the fence isn't totally fenced in. So she walks her dog in her backyard. I'm just praying that the dog isn't yappy. I hate, I really don't like dogs, okay? I just lost half of the people. God loves dogs, Vanessa doesn't, okay? I'm still not sure dogs will be in heaven, but that loses the whole congregation when I say that. So, Jesus died for people, but this is the reality, right? We'd like to say, oh, make friends with your neighbors, but that's what it means. It means stopping what you're doing, finding out what's interesting to them, learning about them, talking with them in the middle of your busy day. That's not necessarily hard to do, but for me, it takes effort. It takes energy. It takes focus. I'm never going to be able to talk to them about Jesus who loves them if I first don't just get to know them, right? Not be a weirdo. Just get to know them. So another one, just taking it where we live. Another one, stewardship of your physical body. So like I said, I'm farther than 40. (laughs) And as you get older, it just takes on a new light. (laughs) So all of a sudden, I want to be a good steward of my physical body so that I can do all the things that God's asked me to do, right? So I can live life to the full and I can be available to the Lord for that. Well, guess what that means? That's not how everyone's like, amen, yes, preach, yeah, that's great. No, what it means, on Monday afternoons when it's my day off and I really want a Netflix binge, which there's nothing wrong with that, I believe God could be in that, I actually have to do meal planning and meal prep and I have to cut vegetables and I have to get healthy snacks in place because that's the micro quota. Does that make sense? That's gonna move me towards the goal of, of, of living a healthy lifestyle. So that's how God greater, me less, dribbles down into how I live my life, right? How I steward my physical body, how I reach my neighbors, how I read God's word, and you can go through the list. Another practical under habits and routines. This is a good one, probably not new, but practical. Create behavior chains. Fred said when I say it, it sounds like change. Chains, like a chain link fence, like chains that link together. So if half of our life, half of our daily activity, if you think of each of those behaviors and routines as a link in a chain, 
This, I believe most of us have heard. If you want to add a new habit, you should attach it. Think of it as attaching a new link to something that's already established, something you already do that you don't have to think about. So for me, I look at this list and I say scripture. I read God's word. I'm a student of God's word, but I want to do a better job of memorizing God's word in this season. So once a week, I pick a new scripture every Sunday or Monday. What's my scripture for the week? And then I had the really spiritual thought, what's something I do to create a behavior chain? What's something I do every day, two to three times a day, that I can then add the discipline, the routine, the habit of memorizing God's word? So it occurred to me, I changed my clothes two to three times a day, right? I get ready for work, I work out, I put my comfies on it, and I, you all call them comfies? I don't know, your joggers, your sweatpants, right? You know, you don't stay in your skinny jeans. No one does that. So, nothing with a belt. Okay, so, I change my clothes three times a day-ish, two to three. So, I'm going to all the sense for the last couple months, when I'm changing my clothes, I don't know what I did before, but now I review the scripture that God's put in my heart. I think about it. I practice it, I memorize it, I have it in my heart, I give some energy to it. That is creating a habit and a routine of scripture being memorized, which is a game changer. It's more tools in my tool belt, right? More things that I can use, God's word, I can pull those out. I could wage warfare in my own mind. I have dominion over the enemy. I can pray for people, I can use God's word. Creating behavior chains is powerful. If you have children, you can look at your habits and routines, and you have this beautiful opportunity with children to attach spiritual disciplines to the regular habits and routines of your life. As I was preparing for this, I remembered, and I hadn't thought about it in a long time, when we moved here, our kids were really little to lead city life. It was 13 years ago. Ethan's on the front row. He was four years old. We just, we just wanted him not to beat up the kids in kid life. That's all we wanted. And Claire was three, and Ethan, Derek had just turned seven. And so I remember we would, Fred would always be at church earlier than me, and I'd strap the kids in and be on the way to church, and I decided we're going to pray on the way to church every week. It's not, you know, anything crazy, but let's make this part of what we do as a family because I want our kids to love the house of God. I want them to feel like owners of the vision, right? That they're partners in what God's called our family to do in leading city life and that they have a part to play. So, but, you know, I wasn't saying all that in the car. I was just like, kids, we're going to pray, right? And I, I was, even and I were laughing because we were talking about it. I hadn't thought about it in a long time because now they all drive their own cars and I barely see them. But, um, he was like, yeah, mom, I would think of like one new thing I could pray that I could at least talk about for 20 seconds. So I'd sound like I knew what I was doing. So it wasn't if we're going to pray, we're going to pray for church. We're on the way to church. So the kids would just start piping in. They'd pray for the visitors. They'd pray for the chair setup team. Remember at the Mosaic, we just set up and tear down chairs. They'd pray for, you know, that the kid they didn't like in kid life would share the blocks this week, you know? They prayed that daddy's preaching would be great. Ethan would pray that daddy's preaching would be short. They would pray for all the things. They would pray for all the things. And I think that now, you know, we were just praying. We were just doing something routine. But for 14 plus years or 16 years, whatever it was, till they started driving on their own, they prayed on the way to church. They realized that you go to church to serve others, right? It embedded all these things, all these things from that one habit and routine, creating it. So I want to encourage you to give thought to the habits and routines that you have and use the idea of creating a behavior chain. It's powerful. You know, do you want to memorize more scripture like Vanessa? 
Join me in that when you change your clothes. Maybe you want to take in more Bible. Listen to the Bible when you run certain errands. Or maybe it's when you empty your dishwasher every day. Or the things that you do that build your life. I know for me, another one is I want to pray more for my spouse. I know it's shocking to you, but I don't pray and intercede for Fred. He's just awesome. He's so independent. He's just, yeah, I just don't do a great job with that. So I've started. There's certain errands I run routinely throughout my week. And so I've decided when I'm in the car, I'm going to pray for my husband. That'd be a nice thing to do when you're almost married for 24 years. You know what I mean? I mean, I do pray for him, but you know what I'm saying. The other area, so there's prioritizing values. The other area that God has really been prompting my heart is amplifying his voice. The things I can do in a very practical way to make his voice louder. Forward, neutral, reverse. In the busyness of life, what are the things that I do to help amplify his voice? Now, of course, we have to do all the pathways that were just up on the screen. So I'm not going to talk about you need to pray and read your Bible and gather and be accountable. You need to do those things, okay? I want to give you a couple nuggets. Assuming you're doing those things. In partnership with doing those things. You want to curate what you take in. Curate what you take in. I love the word curate. It's such a great definition. Ready? It means, this is powerful, it means to select the performers that will be featured. It's like a museum curator. They, what they're going to hang on the wall, right? What they're going to look at. I think about it as what you take into your mind. Who are the performers that are going to be featured in my mental talk, my mental chatter, that only I know about being picky and choosy and trying to bring, bring Christ to that area of my life. You know, we live in a um, 24-hour news cycle, right? Social media. None of these things are bad. It just is what it is. It wasn't that way. 15 years ago, I wouldn't have said that about news. 10 years ago, I wouldn't have said that. Most of us probably have several different platforms of social media on our phones right now. I don't, I'm not against any of that. I think social media is a powerful tool to amplify your voice in people's lives, right? To be life-giving and, and hopeful and, and to have an impact on the world. So again, these aren't bad things, but we have to be mindful of the performers that we're going to feature. <laughs> we have to be a steward of our mental health. We have to process, we have to be responsible for the things we allowed in because then we're responsible to process them and deal with them. So we should be mindful of it. And I know for me, some of us need encouragement on what we take in. So can I just tell you that what is important? There's this great thing on all the social media platforms that you can like snooze people, block them, unfollow them. You can get rid of them and they don't even know. They still think you're nice. Isn't that great? You can't do that in real life. I've tried it. It's not good. So... But this is a great tool for social media because if this person is a negative, right? If there's somebody who you don't have to deal with it. So you want to be thoughtful. You want to be mindful. Take advantage of those buttons. There's like, I don't do Twitter anymore because it's just overkill for me, but there's a soft block. I was reading about all the features. I was like, this is awesome, a soft block. I want to figure that out, how to do that in real life. David, I'm soft blocking you right now. Like enough already, soft block. 
The other thing that God reminded me about curating is not just the what, because for some of us, we've got the what down. How about the when? When I take it in. So for me, I love news. I like to get the news in the morning. I like to get the news at night. I like to listen to news from different perspectives. I, I'm not a news junkie, but I like news. So, but, but what God convicted my heart of is I was starting my day every day just by default of turning on the news while I was schlepping my way through making my coffee. And now I've just changed that up a little bit. God's like, listen to the news after you set the tone of your day in my presence, in my word, right? Just spend some time with me first so the order mattered, the when mattered. Let that set the tone of my day and I'm better equipped to handle all the other stuff. So there's wisdom in the what, there's wisdom in the when. We live in a world with a lot of noise and a lot of chatter and each one of us must be intentional to turn down the overall volume so that we can then turn up our ability to hear God's voice. In your daily life, in the habits and routines of your life, are you practicing the things that are going to allow God's voice to be the loudest? his instructions to be able to be heard and seen. This last point, the last area I just want to share with you out of amplifying God's voice, and it's not necessarily intuitive, and that is deal with your stuff. Your stuff in air quotes. I'll go ahead and invite the worship team to come up and get in place. Deal with your stuff. Basically, that's code for like, get counseling, lean into resources, reach out for help if you need it. For the things that continually come up, particularly in your closest relationships. And listen to me here. I'm going to tell you, if we don't deal with our stuff, when things happen, because they will, not if things happen, when they happen, our brokenness, our woundedness, our history becomes the place that we operate out of, and God's voice is so much harder to hear. It's more easily muffled. It's more easily pulled to, pushed to the back burner. But by doing the work, and what I mean here when I say by doing the work, making the appointment, getting on the waiting list, working it into your schedule, paying the bill, asking the hard questions, taking notes, having the hard questions, hard conversations with the people you love, following up, doing the homework, by doing the work, we amplify God's voice because we turn down the volume of our own brokenness that we bring into situations. And I'll tell you that I learned this firsthand. I've always been a fan of counseling. I've referred people to counseling. I have counselor friends. I'm a big fan, but I've just never done it myself. So like many people, 2020 was enough that my renewed desperation revelation include getting a therapist. Took me a while to find one that could get on their schedule and work. And when I did, can I just tell you that this benefit of God's voice being louder in my life was unforeseen to me. I was just hoping that our marriage, you know, we would like each other still. You know what I'm saying? I was just hoping that this issue that kept coming up, and if you're like, do I have stuff? You have stuff if, stu if it keeps coming up. Okay, so Fred and I have been married a long time and I'm just gonna be vulnerable here. We'd be talking about this and we'd end up here with me emotionally. Oh, I thought we were talking about this and we end up here, I'm back here again. And at some point, the person that you love, whether it's your spouse, a friend, a parent, they're like, are we here again? 
How did we get here? I thought we were over here. You keep getting here. That means you have stuff. So I got a therapist. I started doing some of the hard work of this, just unpacking this issue, reaching outside for help. People that know more than me, right? People that can be an objective voice. By doing this work, I began to experience an amplification of God's voice and an ability for me to hear his voice and see situations differently. I believe I could come to the altar and God can change my perspective, but I also believe he sometimes has us go to therapy. Okay? Like, let's be big enough that he uses all of it, yeah? Right? It can be spiritual work. I was able to respond in a more Christ-like manner rather than from my own brokenness that had been instructing me way too loudly. And it turned down that. I believe I gained healing. I believe I broke a cycle. I believe I gained freedom. And I believe what I did is I turned up the volume of God being able to say, forward, because before I heard something else. Neutral, reverse. And that was powerful for me. And for some of us, we just need to avail ourselves to do some of that work. Amen? I want to ask you tonight, how are you doing in your quest of being reconciled to a life of holiness? Is God becoming greater? And in turn, are you becoming less? I'm going to invite you to stand where you are. I believe it's important that each one of us asks this question and is courageous in our own answer. Maybe it's, maybe it's a renewed desperation revelation that you need. Maybe it's a refocus on overlaying, prioritizing God's values and some of the practicals of what that would look like. Maybe it's allowing God's voice to be louder in, in your ear, turning down some other things to create empty space that God can fill. But what I do know is that for each one of us, no matter how comfortable we are in the life that we have, in the roles that he's called us to, in the things that he's put before us, I feel so strongly in my spirit that God is looking at each one of us lovingly, not to shame us, lovingly, gently as a heavenly father. And he says, you've never done this run before. And I wanna be the loudest voice in your ear. I want you to be locked in on my instructions in that rear view mirror every time when I say circle around, when I say, do you see this? Hey, check out what's happening over here, that you're gonna be able to respond and be obedient and be quick about it and not hesitate. Allowing God to become greater. Tell you what, what an adventure God has, what hope there is in this message because we can be afraid of what 2021 is gonna be. Oh my God, we made it through 2020. Dear God, I hope we can make it through 2021. That's not the way that God wants us to live. There's incredible hope. Guess what? God God's really knows. He, he stands outside of time. He sees the twists and the turns of the river. He knows what's coming. He was not surprised when COVID hit the globe. He did not step off his throne. He has hope for each one of us. And so I hope that you'll join me tonight in allowing God to speak to you, allowing God to continue to become greater and by turn, our own stuff becoming less. Let's pray. 
Father, I just thank you. Father, I thank you that you've chosen each one of us. I thank you that for each one of us, no matter what our story is, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter what brings us here tonight, that we know with confidence that you desire to be made greater in our life, that you have more, and guess what? Your more is always better. And so, Father, I pray that we would be your sons and daughters who respond to you. Father, I pray that for each one of us, that we would have a renewed desperation revelation that makes us fall at your feet with a realization of how badly we can mess things up, but how much you hold it all in control. And Father, that we would live lives that prioritize your values. We would live lives that hear your voice, that we would not be worried about not knowing the things we don't know because we know that you have it in control. Father, I pray there would be a hope there would be an energy, there would be a, an infusion of power that would come from your throne room as we say yes to allowing you to become greater and our own self becoming less. We thank you, we praise you tonight. Father, we thank you for never giving up on us. We thank you for continuing to choose us over and over and over again. And God, I pray that the practicals that were shared tonight would be brought to mind, that we would do the work of allowing your greatness to continue to, to just take over all that we are. That we would be convinced it's the best way to live life. We want all in. We want all in. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.